Welcome to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. Everyone is talking about OTT, that's over-the-top content, video delivered over the internet, usually without the involvement of a third party who requires a subscription such as traditional cable or satellite pay TV providers. In our ever-increasing connected digital world, it provides two outstanding opportunities. And the first is the ability of entertainment rights holders, whether they be sports events or music, who may not have large TV rights deals and therefore be broadcast through traditional channels to large audiences. It gives them the ability to reach and engage viewers they may normally not be able to. Second is the ability for any rights holder to leverage the audiences they engage through OTT services because they have direct access. Add to that the mix that any rights holder can deliver OTT and do so in a way where they can truly deliver a product because they have a deep understanding of their fans that they know their fans want and there are some real opportunities for rights holders. And where there are opportunities for rights holders, they often flow through to opportunities for sponsors. And those opportunities look very attractive indeed because of the direct access to fans and data that rights holders can provide brands. And trend number five in Nielsen Sports commercial trends in sport 2017 is that live sport is gaining traction on OTT and social media. And one man who has been on the OTT trail from the early days, and even by his own admission, maybe a little too early, is Chris Wagner, EVP and co-founder at New Line. For 14 years, New Line has been a worldwide leader specialising in digital video broadcasting, distribution and monetization. And New Line deliver live and on-demand content to every internet-enabled device imaginable. And later on in the show, Chris joins us to discuss the OTT landscape and how rights holders can capitalise on it. Welcome to episode 50 of Inside Sponsorship. I'm your host, Daniel Oyston. It's awesome to have you listening to this milestone episode where... We've delivered a show once a fortnight for the past 50 fortnights, so a big thanks to you, the listeners who download the show and listen to it each and every fortnight, and thank you for the encouragement and the kind words we always get from you about the show. We certainly love putting it together for you and really focusing on how it can help you in your role. Also joining us on the show is Sam Irvine, sponsor's GM of Product, who, in an ongoing series, ponders his past life as a commercial manager at a rights holder and what he wishes he knew. Then he pens a letter to his younger self. Here's Sam. Sam, have you done all your Christmas shopping yet? I have, actually. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the blessing of online, online shopping, isn't it? Putting the rest of the husbands <laughs> and fathers to shame. <laughs> and uh, just in case Rochelle listens to the show, what are you getting her? That'd be a good test, actually. I'm getting her a few things, so too many to mention. I'm going to put too many guys to shame if I list all everything Mm -hmm. on on the show. It might actually make her listen to one for one. (laughs) Now, another important time of year is obviously work. People are winding down. If you're a uh, a sponsorship manager or a commercial manager at a rights holder, perfect opportunity to just wind down, put the tools down. Put the feet up. pull, Pull back from all communications with sponsors. Dust the hands off. And you're done for the year, right? But surely everyone understands, right? Everyone has a cruisy week leading up to Christmas. Isn't I that, do. That how? <laughs> if only I haven't spoken to a single client this week that have said, "Yeah, we're just uh, we're just winding down to Christmas." Funny, right? It's uh, times are changing. 
Yes, that's say. right. And ever-connected digital world makes it hard to actually Switch wind off. down because just because you might not be in the office doesn't mean you're not contactable and or working. So in your ongoing series, you think back to when you were a rights holder, sponsorship manager, commercial manager, and, and ponder what might have been, what you could have done a little bit better. And this time, obviously, it's a festive time of the year. You've thought back about how you might have handled Christmas a little bit differently. Definitely. And it's funny, right? I get to be uh, the king of hindsight at this stage, right? And I get to have all the time in the world to go, what would I have done? And obviously, a lot of this stuff um, depends on your availability of time, uh, your personal relationships at certain levels, etc. right? But what... I sort of was sitting around waiting at the airport the other day and I thought this time of year, a couple of years ago, would have been a completely different space and I would have more likely it just used Christmas as an excuse for things to wind down. Whereas looking at best case scenario, it's a great reason to stand above from the pack and actually develop that personal relationship with your, with your contacts as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you've gone through, you've listed five things. Let's go through them. First one is... Thank the partner for the enter the number of Christmases together. Now, it might just be something quite corny, a little email, just a little note, even just a text, depending how well you know that partner, right? Just pointing out, hey, this is our third Christmas together. Nice little sort of um, box to tick, something to identify the fact that you have you sort of know you've, you've been around, you've been working together, and it's a key time of the year, right, for their family, your family, your work, whatever it might be. You get to sit back and say, hey, We've been together a little while. I've noticed you're important to us. Let's keep working together. Yeah, I really like this one because it's not just your generic uh, email or card that comes in the post that says, oh, we've had a great year. Thanks for being supportive. (laughs) It's actually specific and the person, even though it's only small, knows that you would have to have at least taken some time to focus on them and come up with three or ten or Mm. nine Christmases that we've been together. And even if it's your first too, right? Correct. That's something kind of cool to mention too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and you can always use it as a bit of, not leverage, but a little bit of a talking point to say looking forward to, you know, an, a, another year and being able to tick off another Christmas together. Mm. Great. Yeah, so fun. thank the partner for the yeah. number of Christmases you've been together. Yeah. Number two. Summarise what a great year it's been, right? And what I mean by this, as a bare minimum, give them a, a delivery report with some photos, some evidence, things like that. At a bare minimum. But- why not create a little bit of flair, a little bit of colour, add in some Christmas themed sort of images, whatever it might be, right? But just go through and say, hey, here's some of the cool things we did together this year. Here's some of the milestones that we passed together. Here are some of the things that maybe that sponsor did without you. So if they launched a new product, whatever it might be, there's things that you get to go and identify what a 12-month, 6-month, however long it's been so far in this year with them. You get to sort of identify to them the peak, the, those really big peaks that you've had together. Yeah, definitely. Number three? Provide a small personalized gift. Now, this is obviously dependent upon budget and dependent upon how well you might know that particular person and timing, right? If they've only come on a partner for a month, you might time might be limited in that space. And, and what I mean by personalized isn't an engraved pen or an engraved <laughs> mug, those types of things, right? Um, it's not a pair of socks with your name sort of printed on it. What it is is um, something that symbolizes your knowledge or understanding of that person as an individual. Now, I might use a, a couple of personal examples here and these people will probably know who I'm talking about um one of our clients she's a a massive lover of podcasts and i said to her the other day podcast costs money i would give you a ten dollar voucher for podcasts (laughs) for christmas all right and so because it's something that we her and i her and i will have a like a lot of 
deep conversations about we'll re- recommend different podcasts to each other and things like that. And straight away, if I had received something like that back from her, it would make a big difference and it'd go, hang on, she actually, she understands what, what I get, what I understand. Yep. Same, similarly, like music, I've got a few of our clients that go to lots of events. Why wouldn't you sort of shell out a $20 voucher for um, uh, for Ticket Tech? Something like that. It doesn't have to be huge and it doesn't have to be something where you've bought them outright gift, but you've identified that you understand, you know them, thinking of them, they're, they're important, the relationship's important, etc. Yeah, and I think... If you could somehow, if you've got the ability to bring together number two, which was summarize what a great year you've had together, and three, provide a small personalized gift. Like it doesn't have to be extravagant. You spoke about budget. You could just do, you know, a a really cool sort of personalized Christmas card with photos of their activations or at hospitality. Mm. And you could even put that. Uh, the number of Christmases you've been together in it. You can get other people around the office to, you know, take an office mm. Christmas photo like a family photo. That's personal. It's fun. Shows some personality. And in today's you know, environment where we can actually, you know, we can make one card or two cards. We don't have to order a box of 500 yeah. or 1,000. Mm. It's definitely achievable. It's a bit of fun. It's a bit of personality. Plus, it's personalized. Hell yeah. And I think something like a personalized little video around the office would be really cool too. It was just a 30-second video where you get 10 or so staff that had some impact upon that partnership, yeah, whether they're an events person, media, whatever it might be. Just go around the office with a selfie stick and just go and just get them Blair to say- Witch Project. <laughs> Don't trip over. And then just get them, get each person to say 10 seconds, five seconds, whatever it might be about what was important to them and thank that partner, et cetera, right? Yeah, so I like that idea. Personal. Yeah, I like that idea. Mm-hmm. Number four? Number four is set out a plan for 2018. So what I mean by here is you get to talk about this is what we're doing moving forward. This is a big sort of anniversary year, for example. Involve them in that discussion. So look to say, look, a good example might be if you're in the W League, you're in the middle of the year, the season's not over. So 2018 for us looks to be finals where we'd love to see you activating through this, etc. So you're giving some examples of how and where they're going to have an even better year in 2018. Yeah, I think a key point there is not everybody knows that not all sports run the calendar year. We've got loads of clients, particularly overseas, or no fair number in Australia actually, that uh, they're in the middle of their season now, Mm. cricket, W League, baseball. It would be naive for you to think that your sponsors, if you are a rights holder who run you know, within a calendar year and it's off-season now, don't forget that your sponsors are probably having lots of contact and conversations with other rights holders who, at the end of the day, you're competing with. And this, if you if you just down tools, it could be a two- or three-month period where they don't even focus on you at all. Yeah. You come back in the new year, you're super energised, maybe you needed to lose five kilos over the Christmas period, you're really pumped about the year and they're like, well, we're really focusing on this at the moment. So it is a great opportunity yeah. to set out a, a plan for 2018 mm. or reinforce it mm. if you've already got it because you probably would be that uh, top of mind at yeah, this right. time yeah, of year. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's a really good point. Great. So set yeah. our plan for 2018. Yeah. Number five. Just really, this is a really basic one, right? But just set out your office hours and perhaps the next meeting with them too, right? So don't just assume because Christmas and New Year is coming that um, that your commercial partner will have, one, have that same time off that you will, mm. and two, expect you to literally 
tools down completely, right? So what it might be is just a little note, a little email, um, something to say, these are actually our reduced hours, I'm available on my mobile, whatever, just something really basic like that makes a difference, right? Rather than just that, the point of assuming. Oh, assuming is a great word because I think it, it is easy to assume this time of year that we finish work this week, you, as in the listener, might only have two weeks off and you come back, that might be actually the point in time where the people that you want to chat to at your sponsors and your brands, that's when they take off. So don't forget that we're in a summer period. It's six or seven weeks of school holidays and you know probably not everybody is in the office until mm-hmm. the end of January together again. So don't assume that just when you come back, everybody's going to be contactable. So you can lose a lot of momentum through ja- uh, middle of January and yeah. late January. Yeah, definitely. And, and good point there, losing that momentum. And that's the last thing you want to do, whether even if it is mid-season, that's the last thing you want to do is actually let conversations go astray, put pause on your planning, a lot of those things. So. Absolutely. So those five things is thank the partner uh, and focus on the number of Christmases together. Mm. Summarise what a great year you've had together. Number three, provide a small personalised gift. Mm. And we could actually potentially bring those three things together. Yeah, definitely. Number four, set out a plan for 2018. Number five is is set out the office hours and, and next meeting expectations. Uh, if you want to read that blog in detail, that letter, he's, it seems written it to himself. Uh, you just head along to sponsor.net forward slash blog and you can read that in its entirety. Sam, uh, I thought you might like to take us out with a Christmas carol. <laughs> Goodness, no chance. Okay. Uh, my little boy Harvey would love me to sing Jingle Bells, I think, but that is definitely not happening. <laughs> okay, thanks for joining us. Have a Merry Christmas, guys. OTT is exploding and there are a wide range of opportunities for rights holders who get it right and then subsequently sponsors. Trend number five in Nielsen Sports, commercial trends in sport 2017, is that live sport is gaining traction on OTT and social media. And one man who has been on the OTT trail from the early days is Chris Wagner, EVP and co-founder at Newline. For 14 years, Newline has been a worldwide leader in specialising in digital video broadcasting, distribution and monetization. And Newline deliver live and on-demand content to every internet-enabled device imaginable. And Chris has been a driving force in the technology industry and he's worked closely with executives from major corporations and entrepreneurs who have relied on technology to support the growth of their businesses. Chris has held numerous executive positions in the technology sector. The growth of internet television on computers, tablets, mobiles and internet connected devices has given Chris an opportunity to work closely with the largest brands in the sports and entertainment industry including the NFL, NHL, UFC, NBA, Univision, Dish Networks and many others. Here's Chris to discuss the OTT landscape and how rights holders and sponsors can capitalise on it. Chris Wagner, welcome to the show. Daniel, thank you for having me. We always have a little bit of fun and kick off the show with some some easy icebreaker questions just to help the audience get to know you a little bit better. First icebreaker question we ask is, if you could be anyone else in the world for a day, who would you be and why? I thought about I knew you were going to ask me that, and I'm going to pick Jordan Spieth, a professional golfer, because... I'd love to see and feel like a professional golfer for at least 24 hours. (laughs) So that's who I picked, Jordan Spieth. Very good. Second icebreaker question is, what was your first ever job? I was the manager of a community pool where I lived. 
and uh, had to make sure that nobody drowned, that I hired the right lifeguards, and that the snack bar was always full. That was my first job. <laughs> and, prob- and probably in that order. Exactly right. Now, Chris, as an executive VP, you'd have a fairly broad responsibility. Uh, I might ask that question again, actually. Hang on two secs, 420. Chris, as an executive VP, you'd have fairly broad responsibility, but also a challenging one considering how much digital has and still continues to change. Can you tell us a little bit about your role and what your main areas of focus are? Okay. Yeah. Right now, I focus... Um I mean, I co-founded the company, been with the company, the company's strategy in the marketplace, you know, things around TV everywhere, over the top, streaming, what new markets we can get into, not just, uh, uh, you know, we started in, in North America, we've expanded into Europe, we now have a really nice presence in Asia, we're probably one of the largest streamers of U.S. sports uh, in Australia when you take into account the NFL, NBA, and others. I also look after uh, acquisitions the company thinks make sense as part of its growth strategy, and we've done some of those. You know, and then generally how we communicate in the marketplace, uh, those are all kind of the core things I look after each day. Chris, you're a co-founder at New Line, having founded the company back in 2004. What sort of opportunities did you see back then in this space, and how uh, right or wrong do you think you've been in, in how it's played out so far? No, good question, Daniel. Uh, we started in 2004, and we launched our first internet TV service in 2006. Um, you know, I would think you know we were a little bit early, I think, in terms of uh, where the marketplace is now. Certainly, streaming live sports on any kind of device is a must. Back then, it was an idea. And I can remember people, you know, we would say, hey, you can watch television on your phone or on your computer. Uh, and people will go, why would I want to do that? You know, I have my television set, my satellite receiver, or my cable box. And we knew there was an opportunity to, to change how entertainment could be delivered to fans, whether it's sports entertainment or, um, you know, movies or other forms of, of entertainment. And, um, you know, I think we were a little bit early, but we've uh, per- perfected the platform. And, you know, as we'll talk, have done a significant amount of uh, streaming for you know really big sports rights holders and now we're expanding into other markets that are not just sports but also you know news and entertainment uh, in addition to sports but our, our our roots and where we started was in the sports space we actually started with uh, NHL hockey and uh, launched a service for them called uh, Game Center Live which gave fans the ability to watch live live hockey uh, on any type of device and then from there you know went into all types of other sports was there much uh, in the early days where you doubted you said you moved fairly early in the space was there many times where you doubted whether you'd done the right thing or did you always know it was just going to be a matter of time before it really came into its own well we knew we knew the um, the internet allows you to scale right so uh, it's a small world when you think about the internet because you can use it as a a way of distributing video. Uh, the other thing that's neat about the internet is you can have a, a conversation with a fan and you can um, let the fans kind of interact and lean forward and really get into the, to the match or the game. Uh, and that was our, our vision. I think 
back when we started, a lot of things have uh, improved from an infrastructure standpoint. So internet speeds have gotten faster. Video compression over the internet has gotten better. New video formats like 4K and virtual reality and augmented reality. I mean, these are all new ways people and it's going to be delivered on the internet so digital sports if you will um have only gotten better and i i think at this point in time you know we're talking today on your podcast i would say that video qualities delivered digitally are better i mean they're 4k uh four time quality of hd uh, and as internet services for uh, your listeners get uh, bigger and stronger, then their opportunity to watch um, live sports in a higher quality that's more interactive, cable and satellite are just not going to be able to catch up. So uh, it's going to become, uh, for content rights holders of sports, the primary way to interface with their fans. Yes, it is It is very exciting and the opportunities all keep presenting themselves. Now, Chris, as I mentioned to the listeners when I introduced you, we have you on the show as an industry expert to discuss trend number five in Nielsen Sports commercial trends in sport 2017. And that trend is live sport gaining more and more traction on OTT and social media. Now, I'm guessing that the situation around the world is reasonably similar to that of where I am in Australia, where you can stream live sport on your devices for free as part of your existing pay TV package quite often. So why is OTT positioned as such a big trend and opportunity if existing pay TV networks already provide live sport via streaming? Because yes, rights holders will sell to the highest bidder, but doesn't that just really feel like it fragments audiences and potentially even diminishes audiences in some cases? That's a very good question. Uh, And I think the trends that you see around the world with OTT puts pressure on the traditional way that sports have been distributed, meaning that content rights holders now for far less cost can deliver live sports direct to the consumer. So if you're live skateboarding, live poker, uh, live football, mixed martial arts, um, you know, world surfing we have as a customer. These are all uh, content owners that feel that they really understand their fans uh, in a unique way and believe that they can market directly to those fans in a new, uh, unique way uh, and, 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 and bring, you know, grow their audience. So the traditional distributor of satellite and cable really caters to many different uh, audiences and, you know, large lists of TV channels. And it's very difficult to, uh, to really personalize an experience for a particular fan of any of the different sports I've just mentioned. So the trend you're seeing around the world, uh, it kind of is twofold. One is being able to personalize, uh, you know, a sport experience for a specific fan which is just impossible on traditional satellite and cable because it's a one-to-many platform. Uh, so you have that trend that's happening around the world. And then uh, you also have the seamlessly watch high-quality live sports on any device. So if you happen to be on the move, if it's your mobile device, maybe you're at work, it's your computer, 
you know, maybe you're at home and your wife's watching, you know, a love movie and, <laughs> and you want to watch live sports. Yeah. You know, you can, you can do that. So this, this ability to seamlessly move across any device, it's live and it's high quality, you know, creates, um, an opportunity for sports rights holders to connect with fans all the time. Uh, and it's very difficult to take your satellite receiver and your TV with you on your way to the office. So with smartphones becoming cheaper and faster, with video qualities getting better and better, uh, and, and with technology, technology allowing you to really understand who your fans are, connect with those fans, interact with those fans, it just makes digital distribution of sports really the the, you know, the future for everything because of all the things I've just said. It just is a better platform, uh, and distributors of broadband services are going to be the winners. Distributors of uh, satellite receivers and cable boxes are going to have to move uh, you know, to broadband-related content with the content that they license because that's where they're that's where the fan base is going oh, i think it's a a great comment very insightful around the being able to personalize the broadcast and particularly because the rights holder best understands the audience and the, and the fans that they're trying to reach and they should be very excited about the opportunities to interact with those fans chris what are the stats around consumption of ott live sport i'm particularly interested in and you mentioned it a couple of times about taking your phone and you can't take your satellite dish and your and your box with you when you go to the office so i'm particularly interested in how much ott is consumed inside the home versus outside the home right uh, that's another good question. I mean, just to give you a sense of scale, last year New Lions streamed over 63,000 sports events. So within that number, you have customers of ours like Rugby Pass out of Singapore, which uh, that company has been aggregated. And your listeners can go to you know, Google Rugby Pass and you can sign up at the subscription. Uh, and in you know, you have all these rights holders moving to direct-to-consumer kind of over-the-top streaming. So that's 63,000 live events. Over 60% of the viewers of those live events started viewing, started the mobile, you know, started the video on a mobile device. So mobile traffic within the 63,000 live live events we did last year over 60% of those starts have been on mobile. The, the kind of the reverse of that number is where you're, where you're physically located at the time. If, if you happen to be home, then we see the engagement time on larger screens being much longer than mobile, meaning you're sitting in your house, you've connected your Apple TV, or you've connected your Sony PlayStation, or maybe your Xbox to your, to your television, and you're watching a rugby match, you compare the engagement time on that large screen with engagement time on a mobile screen, as you might guess, you know, you're home, you're in your living room or room, and you're watching three times longer than what we see on mobile engagement. Um, but the connection to the fan and the starting of the video is predominantly mobile. Uh, and over the last couple of years, we've seen in general um, internet traffic continue to grow year over year and when you get to 63,000 live events you know quick math you're doing over 100 live events a day 
to do that in a year. And when you think about uh, the connection to the consumer, it has to be on all the leading mobile devices, all the leading game consoles, all the leading connected um, connected devices like maybe a Chromecast or an Apple TV or a game consoles. And then you have all the smart television providers, Sony, Samsung, and LG being the three biggest that, you know, any television you buy now, right, during the holiday season, certainly, you know, 4K, Ultra HD is what everybody's buying. They're all smart TVs. They all connect to the Internet. They all have their, you know, their Netflix-like stores uh, inside of their TV ecosystems. Um, and it just it makes it very simple, you know, to find these online events and these online sporting events and using your broadband connection. Uh, connect and watch and personalize. Do you consume much sport via OTT yourself? I live on my smartphone. I just got a new Apple, a new Apple Ten, and um, yes, I mean, for me, if I'm home, if I'm watching something on traditional satellite or cable, you know, I'll use my smartphone to um, almost as a second screen. Much as I hate to use that word, but it. It, you know, I use that screen to complement what I'm watching, whether I'm on social media, whether I'm watching highlights, um, you know, maybe I'm watching another game. You know, if I'm a, a rugby fan, I could be watching you know, a team that I support on the big screen, but I may have next week's game with a competitor on my phone as an example. Uh, but yes, I, you know, I'm, I, I consume a significant amount of video. And if you look at the internet in general, I mean, most of the surveys will tell you that, you know, by 2019, you know, 95% of going to be video traffic. So as, uh, you know, the big online platforms continue to grow in size, Facebook, Amazon, um, Apple, uh, you're going to see more and more content available through those big stores and uh, people, own sports rights are going to want to connect with audiences digitally, right? So they're going to have their own services like the Rugby Pass service I mentioned, but they're also going to syndicate their content through other stores that are online stores. You saw that in the U.S. The NFL um, licensed their Thursday night football game to Amazon. So Amazon paid a rights fee that was five times the fee that Twitter had paid the year before just to stream that Thursday night NFL game. Wow. Uh, and you see Twitter doing the same thing with, with live sports. You see Facebook doing the same thing with live sports. So the audiences are moving to digital. Uh, and if you're a sports rights holder, you want to not only connect with the fan directly, but you also want to be able to connect to the fan through some of these other big we, I can definitely relate to those comments about multiple screens because we've had uh, two laptops set up in front of the big TV on some Friday and Saturday nights in, in my household. You also mentioned about rights holders wanting to connect more with their audiences. And with OTT, a broadcaster can buy the rights from a rights holder or the rights holder can obviously mm-hmm. broadcast and be the broadcaster themselves. Do you have much of a sense of what the ratio is at the moment around sport, and do you see it changing much? Well, I think it, that, um, you know, SportCal is a service that we work with that tracks uh, sports right transactions. And over the last two years, uh, if, you look at, if you look at companies that, that own 
sports rights for a year or longer. There were over 1,700 transactions. I mean, take the Olympics. There are over, over 83 companies that own rights. So in the U.S., NBC owns those rights. In Australia, I don't know if it's Foxtel or who, who would be the rights holder in Australia for the Olympics. But rights are very fragmented. Um, and because they're so fragmented, you know, they're and, and because those costs are increasing at such a rapid rate, um, you have, you know, this this drive to connect with the fan. I will say that uh, still, you know, most of the viewing is happening on traditional television. When I say television, I mean through a satellite receiver or through a cable box. Uh, I think if you talk to lots of our customers, they define TV as whatever the screen is you have in front of your face at that time. Uh, so I think the word television is uh, changing. But uh, most of the viewing, even on on our call today, still is on traditional satellite and traditional cable. But uh, you're seeing, you know, that change uh, pretty significantly, right? I mean, you have the Olympics, you have the NFL, you have other big sports, NBA, where the viewing is spreading out now across multiple devices. So just um, measuring the audience in the ratings simply on traditional television may growing in some cases it's not it's because viewers are spreading out now across the, all these different connected devices or a different way to engage with that sport it's interesting you mentioned the olympics a couple of times there and my mind went back to uh, the 2000 olympics where my boss was away for a significant period of time so we got permission to take over his office and we hung a white bed sheet at one end and we connected mm-hmm. i think we connected a video recorder to uh, a projector and we watched some very poor images of the sydney olympics but i'm guessing now that it would be way easier to uh, to get the office together and, and watch live sport you you mentioned before uh, about rights holders again wanting to take more control and and engage with the audience how much of OTT is being driven by the rights holders wanting more of that control and engagement rather than just simply here's a revenue stream that we can tap into? I think it's a combination of things. I mean, if you think of what you're going to keep in today's marketplace is to watch a sporting event, everything else is moving. And so the world of watching movies, news, and entertainment allows you to um, watch on your own schedule. So appointment TV is pretty much going away with the exception of sports. Sports is the last thing that you really want to be there when it happens because watching it recorded or hearing about it or, you know, getting a box score later, you know, you don't get the same pleasure out of seeing it live. So, Live sports is really the last big event that everybody shows up for, and that's one of the reasons it drives such high fees for sports rights. It's the big audiences, um, and it's those big audiences that they you know, the occurrence that it's a tentpole event, something like Olympics, and they have the behavior of this wants to connect to that live match that wants to connect on any device that they're on. So you have that behavior and then you have the rights holder wanting to know more about you because if they can, if they can deliver the programming that you really want to watch, they know that you're going to be engaged longer. And if you're online and or engaged 
longer, then they have a better opportunity to run more ads in front of you, cross-sell you into something. You know, take the UFC as an example, which is mixed martial arts. We stream in Australia. Two products, UFC.TV and UFC Fight Pass. Um, you know, you can go into that service and pick the type of fighter you like to watch. You can pick uh, both live and on demand. They have a very large MMA library. You can even go into the library and say, hey, I only have a half hour to an hour of time, you know, and I'd like to see, you know, uh, match knockouts, right? And then the library will, will change in front of your eyes and the content that gets positioned in front of you meets that exact request. So you have kind of a number of different things happen at the same time. You have these big audiences showing up. You have that won't consume content on any device. And then you have the rights holder wanting to personalize the experience so they can get you engaged for a longer period of time. I mentioned UFC. I mean, imagine slow motion replay, watching that fight from four or five different angles, uh, being able to uh, report your score of a round and have that compared with the judges and the rest of the audience. So you can do, you know, round scoring, seeing all the live stats, in addition to picking and choosing the type of content you want to watch, you just can't do that on satellite or cable, you know, and that's, that's with, with live sports streaming. It's interesting that you made those comments around appointment TV and it occurred to me, you, you mentioned about how you want to be there to see the live sport happening. The other factor at play there, it'd be interesting to get your view is that there's a bit of an etiquette around TV shows and movies because they're, you know, a lot of the time appointment-based, or they have been in the past, with no spoilers. But with sport, it's almost impossible to avoid spoilers, particularly on social media around live sport. It's very – I agree with you. I mean, we actually have a switch in most of our services called a spoiler alert, and you could switch it on or off. So if you missed a rugby match – and or let's say you joined, you know, an hour into the match, you can set up your profile so the spoiler is turned off. So to you, it feels like you know the start. You get to see the match progress as it normally would. You get to see the stats. It basically starts when you're ready to watch. But you're right. You can't. You know, you have to have not to go to Twitter or <laughs> go somewhere else because you're going to see the score. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's happening all around you. So, um, that's again, why sports is such a, you know, it, it becomes that last appointment that you want to keep. I mean, even with entertainment, I'm a big game of Thrones watcher and there's some new series on Netflix. Really, um, you know, it becomes available. You don't necessarily have to watch it Sunday at 5 PM, right? You can catch it later that evening or that even the next day. Um, and it's not the same kind of spoiler that you might feel in comparison to uh, a rugby match where you really didn't want to see the score until you had a chance to watch it. Yeah, absolutely. And I can tell you I've, over the years, trained myself religiously to turn my phone off and leave it off-off, like power it <laughs> down to avoid spoilers, particularly for the sports that I've recorded overnight that might have been somewhere else in the world. And you sit on the lounge watching the replay of that game through your satellite box. The amount of times you reach for your phone just out of habit, because that's the second screen you have while you're watching the TV, and you go to reach for your phone and it's not there because you've left it in the bedroom completely turned off, is uh, mildly disturbing at this end. Now, 
Chris, one of the, the frustrating for things for global sports fans like myself, particularly in different time zones from major areas of the world, it's quite frustrating because it's often a heavily considered topic in awarding major sporting events. We spoke about the Olympics before, football, World Cups, because of where the largest largest audiences are and how that has a flow-on effect to sponsors. The frustrating thing is that OTT doesn't, or at least I haven't seen it, provide the opportunity to record the event for later consumption, like I just spoke about, like pay TV Mm -hmm. boxes do, or even sometimes with the streaming services I've used, but even just simply be able to pause it to go to the toilet. That just diminishes the audiences. Do you see that changing anytime soon? Well, Daniel, I mean, if you take the NFL as an example, so... As an NFL fan, you can watch the live game. You can DVR during the live game at any time to go back and start it over. So we record the live game on the fly. Um, At the end of the game, we produce two assets. There's a a full game archive, which um, allows you to again rewatch it, or maybe you've missed the live game and you want to watch it as if it were live, like I explained earlier by turning the spoiler alerts off. But we also create another product called Snap to Whistle, which takes out every interruption. So an NFL game typically is three hours in duration, uh, two and a half hours in duration. You can get the Snap to Whistle game in three minutes. So the service actually takes out every timeout, every commercial, every you know injury issue. I mean, basically condenses it into Snap Whistle, Snap Whistle, and you get a 30 to 40 minute football game. Um, so you have that happening with, we did the world cup for Univision here in the United States talking about mobile. Uh, we were cutting highlights actually during the live stream. So whenever there was a great goal, a yellow card, a crossing, any highlight that was deemed important, it was actually cut out of the live stream and then syndicated out to your mobile device so we had a whole bunch of fans that weren't even watching the live broadcast. They were just watching the in-match highlights that they were getting these 30, 60-minute clips as the whole match was progressing. Uh, and there was a big part of that audience that preferred to watch the in-match highlights because maybe they were doing something, maybe they were running around, but maybe it's on their mobile device. It just allowed them to consume the game in a totally different way. So that's what's happening with digital. It gives you the ability to really package up the content in a bunch of different uh, types of uh, services like I've just mentioned and then leave it up to the fan to decide of the uh, sample is the way that they would watch that particular sport. I think uh, as you were talking about all those great features, it occurred to me that maybe I've just had some really poor experiences with some service providers. And so, I mean, I think the message there for rights holders that are listening to the show, if you are going to go down the path of having more control and streaming it yourself, please consider the end consumer and don't just stream for the sake of streaming and, and you can't pause it and you can't record it and you don't really package and, and yeah. edit it up. Do it properly from the start because you'll have our loyalty and to be honest, we'll probably pay more money for it. I mean, I'll just throw one thing out to any world surf. It's live surfing events. To your point, simple streaming on YouTube was really not to the fans' benefit. 
And, you know, we launched a new service with them. The first feature was being able to do instant replay slow motion of surfing. So imagine a great run being able to go back. And probably a lot of your listeners are World Surf League fans because we do a lot of live events in Australia. To, to watch and experience that ride with the control in your hand of being able to move that rider back and forth in slow motion, fast forward, and, and doing simple streaming, you know, sure, you can stream it over YouTube, but being able to really interact as a surfing fan, uh, back for them, for World Surf League in terms of viewers and Great feature. Not sure it's going to help me be a better surfer, Chris. How do <laughs> rights holders and brands measure the impact and the return on investment on the sponsorship and the advertising scene in streamed events? Well, I would say I don't have a percentage for you, but a, but the subscription business is very different than the advertising business when it, when it relates to streaming. So if you look at a different business models that are in the marketplace. You have the model of getting live sport on any one of your devices because you currently pay for a satellite service. And because you pay for a satellite service, um, they've worked out an opportunity with a live sport provider to allow you to sign in with your satellite credentials and watch. You know, it's kind of the pay TV, TV everywhere market. Uh, so you have that business model. Uh, you also have the direct-to-consumer business model that is subscription-based, and uh, many of the customers we have uh, put those live services behind a paywall and a fan with a credit card, like Rugby Pass, as my example, ability to watch live matches, uh, really not as an advertised-based model, but more as a subscription-based model. And uh, many of the OTT services that we see around the world uh, are more lined up around subscription-based services instead of the ad-based services. The third model, which is your question around advertising, World Surf League is a great example, where that service is free, and then they run while you're watching and monetize um, the revenue that they make. The monetization of those ads is based on how many people are watching and how many ads they deliver you know, during a live event. All three models are out there. The authenticated model through the pay TV operator, subscription direct to consumer and advertising. And I would say most of the OTT sports services that that we're involved with uh, tend to be subscription focused versus the other two. Chris, how do rights holders go about identifying what benefits or inventory they can offer sponsors around OTT live sport? What have you seen rights holders uh, bringing to the table for sponsors and, and integrating them in? Many of the rights holders will work with sponsors in a variety of ways. They, you know, they look at their content across different platforms. You know, here in the United States, the NFL and Verizon did a deal specifically around mobile. Verizon's a, you know, a big mobile. Uh, uh, certain packages of games. Um, the NFL has done sponsored deals with their sport calendar, but with selected games out of that sport calendar. Uh, there could be a deal just for highlights where you know you get three to five minute highlight packages during live events uh, the world cup soccer 
work that we've done. Uh, or it could just be, um, you know, pre and post game, uh, shoulder commentary, you know, where you get all of the action leading up to the game itself, player coaches, interviews, uh, post game, uh, TV conferences, you know, all those are opportunities to package that content up with, uh, different economics and then offer that content and those packages in different ways to different sponsors. So that's the other interesting thing about digital. It, it does allow you to create uh, these content packages and then offer those content packages in different scenarios, again, around kind of a menu idea to sponsors. Uh, and it's difficult to do on satellite and cable um, because the platform itself doesn't really allow you to create those kind of packages. This one's a bit of an out- does that make sense? It does absolutely make sense. This one's a bit of an out there question. What about brands? Do you think a brand would ever be attracted to maybe diverting sponsorship and advertising dollars and truly owning an, an, an OTT channel as part of their marketing? You mean like a consumer brand or uh, you know, typically a, a consumer product like um – um Yes. You know, like take Intel as an example. Intel, you know, makes chips for computers. Intel also has a virtual reality line of cameras. Uh, and here in the U.S., they actually bought the rights for Major League Baseball to create a VR game of the week. And as a sponsor, they own the rights and they get to promote their platform and product around this, you know, um, emerging video experience called VR. Uh, and they did that specifically with a rights holder. I think you see the same thing happening with manufacturers of televisions. Samsung, LG, and Sony have become rights buyers uh, to kind of promote their brands. Um, Samsung's also been a big sponsor of World Surf League, which I talked about. Uh, I think you see uh, consumer products, uh, probably the earliest in most advance is Red Bull who have created, you know, a whole line of live events around action sports uh, to really solidify their brand, you know, and they've been pretty successful not only with live events, but also with Red Bull TV, which is delivered over the top. So I do think um, you see big consumer product companies, again, trying to connect with the fan directly and create kind of an in-product experience, if you will, around video content uh and uh, you know websites are publishers and those those publishers of content can all publish video content and you can create your own ott service around it moving away from live sports are many rights holders creating non-live sport content such as say regularly scheduled shows that aren't actually the live sport being streamed uh, there are. That's another opportunity. You know, we here in the U.S. we have a customer called the Big Ten Network, which is college football, and college football in the U.S. has a you know really passionate fan base. Uh, big college football, big college basketball, um, and they're creating content around the game that um, makes the fan feel closer to the players and the coaches. They're actually working with Amazon in this case to help produce uh, non, non-game content that is uh, a way of uh, pulling the fan in closer to the experiences of uh, players and coaches. 
uh, and it's content that is surfacing, you know, before and after the live event that again, keeps you connected, makes you more passionate, uh, wants you to want more. Um, but I, you know, we're, we're starting to see a, a lot of, uh, um, complimentary content around these live, these live events that again, allow the fan to always be connected. So those are more on demand type of offerings. So as we were talking earlier, you know, you can sample any of that on demand content leading up to the match or after the match. But, uh, again, the, the, the plan is to keep, keep the fan connected all the time. Right. Um, surfing, another good example, you know, the, the people you hang out with, the things that you buy, the clothes you wear, the equipment you're interested in, you know, it's a, it's a lifestyle and, and having content that connects with that lifestyle, not just the live event, you know, it's going to make you more successful. It's a lifestyle and it's also an identity. It's, who's, it's who people are and they feel a very strong right. connection with that. I think that's an insightful comment. Chris, do you have any great tips for employees to access OTT live sport at work yet hide it from their boss? <laughs> yeah, that's called a smartphone and a mute button. Um, you know, these in-match highlights that I was talking about are typically, you know, 60-second to one-minute spots. <laughs> Um, you know, you have, you have that way of sampling live events, but no, I don't want to get anybody fired, (laughs) but (laughs) there is, there's certainly amount of stuff out there to watch more than you have time. Actually, if you add up all the things I'd like to watch news, entertainment and sports, there's just not enough time in the day. If I'm going to say employee. I agree. I, I just keep falling further and further behind with what I need to watch. Chris, you've been a star by giving up some of your valuable time to come on the show, particularly this time of year. It's very busy. We've all got a lot of stuff on. So it's only fair that we give you a great chance to plug New Lion and how you can help people. Well, New Lion, we've, you know, we've been, thank you for that. I enjoyed the conversation. You know, we, we, um, we work with a lot of companies that own sports rights. You know, we have a big movie service in France with a company, a big retailer called Carrefour, No Limit Films. So one of the things that we've been able to do is help our partners who own content get that content to market quickly. So we can launch an OTT service in eight to ten weeks. Uh, We can handle both live and on-demand content. And we have this ability to help you package your content and offer to consumers in, you know, different ways. You can market in different packages, different prices. So that that unlocks the value of your content. I think that's one of the things we're good at is helping experience for fans, doing it fast, monetizing it, and then helping our customers, our partners, many that I've mentioned, kind of grow their business over time. The phrase, always leave them wanting more, is the basic idea behind one of the simplest marketing strategies, the free trial. And for those interested in learning more about growing their OTT business, New Lion have a fantastic ebook out called From Lead to Customer, Turning Free Trials into Paid Accounts. It's a great resource. So whether you're neck deep in OTT or you just want to understand some of the strategies for attracting and engaging subscribers, uh, it'd be a great resource for you to check out. So we will put a link to the ebook in the show notes at sponsor.net. Chris, if people People want to get in touch with you, connect on social media, etc. What can they do? Uh, you can reach out to me on Twitter. Um, you can you can write to me directly uh, uh, to Newline, which is probably even easier. It's just Chris Wagner 
at newlion.com. New Lion's N-E-U-L-I-O-N. But uh, just write to me. Yeah, we'd love to connect. Chris wow, Wagner, so EVP and co-founder at New Lion. Everyone Thank you so much for taking us inside live sport, you gaining traction on OTT. Properly, especially you, if you're Daniel. expecting to use it. it as a channel to increase your sponsorship or if you're a brand expecting to use it to access your target audience. Be sure to head to the show notes at sponsor.net for a link to New Line's great ebook, From Lead to Customer, Turning Free Trials into Paid Accounts, or even head directly to New Line's blog at neulion.com. If you'd like to connect with Chris, you can do so on Twitter using the handle at WAGCH01 or email him on chris.wagner, W-A-G-N-E-R, at newline.com. That's about all we have time for in episode 50. I'd like to take this opportunity to wish all our clients and our listeners an awesome holiday period. Enjoy yourself, have fun with the family, but above all, please stay safe. If you want to connect with me, you can do so on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston or drop me an email at daniel at sponserve.net or on Twitter using the handle at sponserve. And if you want to connect with Sam Irvine, you can email him on sam at sponserve.net or also find him on LinkedIn. Don't forget you can follow Sponserve on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. Just search for Sponserve. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes, blogs and resources, head to Sponserve.net or search for Sponserve on Facebook, Twitter or LinkedIn. LinkedIn.